0: Listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn and look to the person beside you. Just look at them. Everybody good? So we just saw a video of God's creation, of course, right? That's what that's for. But the greatest design is sitting right next to you. Amazing. You ever studied what the heart is like or what the eye is like? Or I mean, it's almost too hard to believe unless you're a Christian. And that's the point of uh, Genesis here. We're going to learn a lot of things as we uh, begin the book of Genesis this week. We're going to be here for a while because it's a big book and a long book, but uh, uh, I want us to go through this and have a, a great understanding or the best understanding that we can as we learn about and think about God. You ever think of the word theology? Well, if you're here, you're doing it. (laughs) It's a big fancy word, but it's really just the study of God and what God is and who he is. And we know what God is or who God is because of how he's revealed himself to us. And he's revealed himself to us. He is the one that controls even that. And we come to the book of Genesis, and it's very these days, controversial. And what's interesting about the book of Genesis, it's not so controversial once you get to chapter 12. Everybody's cool with chapter 12 through the rest of the book, but what people are really concerned about and up in arms about are the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. So I want us, as we move through this book, to promise ourselves what we do and try and every sort of book or every, every uh, book of the Bible. And that's this. We come to the Bible, according to Timothy 3.16, understanding and knowing that all of Scripture is God-breathed and inspired. And so when we come to the Scripture, we don't tell the Scripture what to do, The scripture informs us. Yeah, amen is right. And that makes all the difference in the world. As we come, we come knowing that scripture is God-breathed. But here's a second thing we come and do. As much as we can, we, or I guess I shouldn't say it that way, when we come to the Bible, we interpret it, we interpret the events of Genesis and any of the rest of the books in a literal manner. Because why wouldn't you? Because if you end up interpreting the Bible in a manner that's other than literal, you are the one who sets the parameters and rules of what's true and what's not true. And so you come to the Bible, interpreting the events of Genesis in a literal manner. Now, folks, you have to use some common sense. Because the Bible is written in literature. So when you come to verses that say like, I cried on my bed all night and my bed was, you know, full of tears, you understand that that's literature. You're not interpreting something that's not literal. You're, you're recognizing that it's literature and a bed isn't full of tears or that we reside under the shadow of God's wings. Well, we know that God doesn't have wings. (laughs) We just know we want to tuck ourselves under the, the Lord himself and hide in him and be protected by him. So we do. We come to the events of Genesis, and we come, and we, just like any other book of the Bible, we want to interpret the Bible in a literal manner because it's the best way. And you won't be the one or others won't be the one putting up where it's literal and where it's not. So those are just two things I think about as we move uh, in and through uh, the book of Genesis. Now, what does Genesis mean? Genesis just means the book of beginnings. I I think you all should know this. And if you don't know this, you should know this. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew originally. Everybody know that? Yeah, but see, something happened in 250 B.C. You should know this. In 250 B.C., the Old Testament was translated into Greek, and it was called the Septuagint. And you you need to know that. And why would the Old Testament at that time be translated into Greek it's because a lot of people around the world spoke Greek. (laughs) Even I can figure that one out. And so we know that the title Genesis is the same as it is in the Greek and the English. It's just the beginnings of something. The origins of something. And that's what This book is all about, you know, we were singing today. And as we were singing today, we were talking about, and we always, it's amazing. We always get to that same verse in that song that we sing about Jesus rising from the grave. And we all clap and we should clap. And I was thinking to myself, if you understand what happened in the first 11 chapters and beyond of the book of Genesis, You'll clap all the louder and all the harder when you hear that Jesus died and rose again. Because from the first pages of the Bible, the Bible tells you who God is, what his plan is. But not only that, watch this. It tells us who we are. You know that people will spend billions, not or no, maybe not billions, but yeah, I mean, I guess you go into the bookstores and you'll see this uh, section of the bookstore about heritage or hereditary stuff, your lineage. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? We even have a website that, you know, um, sells those sorts of things, Ancestry.com, and people are really interested in find out where they came from. There's a wonderful show on PBS, this man uh, takes uh, stars, you know, famous people, and finds out their lineage for them. Why do you think that's so wonderful and popular, all of that? Because people feel safe and secure and rooted and anchored, watch, when they know where they've come from. And I think it's biblical. The world's looking for lineage like, am I Scottish or am I Irish or am I German or whatever? And the Bible here is telling us, wait a minute, that's just something that's human. That's human wisdom. Let me give you the real story of who you are so that you can feel settled and secure and rooted and grounded. And Genesis certainly does that. Now, who wrote Genesis? And you could look at all these different places, but Moses is the one who wrote Genesis. And you could even look in Exodus 17. It talks about him writing uh, the law and those sorts of things. In Deuteronomy you 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 folks realize this, right? If you don't know this, see, this is important to know. There's this man named Moses, later on in the story of God, who leads his people out of Egypt and into the wilderness wanderings. Don't yawn yet. We still got two hours to go. He leads his people into the wilderness wanderings. And do you remember what one of the things that happened that's so interesting and fascinating? Do you remember when his family got worried about Moses because he was taking on too much? Remember that story? And they appointed some elders and stuff to hear some of the cases and all that stuff. They were trying to lighten his load. Do you remember that? One of the reasons I think they were lightening his load is because Moses was a writer And you could read it all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. Moses was charged with writing a lot of things down. And if you read in the Old Testament, it's referred to several times. And so generally, it's been thought by commentators and almost had been totally accepted for a long time that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, which in the Bible is called the law or the Torah. Moses wrote those. And when did he write it? Well, most people believe that he wrote Genesis during the time of the wilderness wanderings. And how did he write it? Well, the Bible tells us all the writers Of the Gospels were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things. But practically, how did he write it? Well, you're going to see over the next several weeks. Just for instance, go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, and read with me. This is the history of the heavens and earth When they were created, now I'm going to go fast. So you got to flip with me. Don't get mad. Somebody will tell me after, you're going too fast. Well, I'm doing it on purpose right here. Look in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Look in chapter 6. Look, I'm slowing down. Verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Look in chapter 10, verse 1. Slow, slow. This is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Get it? Look in verse, or chapter 11, verse 10. This is the genealogy of Shem. Look in 11, verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. Look in chapter 25. Big jump, big jump. Look in 25, verse 12. Now, this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Agar, the Egyptian Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abram. Uh Uh-oh, 36. Go to 36. This is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. Uh Uh-oh, go to 36, verse 9. And this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. Look in chapter 37, verse 2. This is the history of Jacob. Listen, here's how Moses wrote the book of Genesis. As he's out in the wilderness wanderings and he's with the people, what would be some of the things that the people in the wilderness would be asking the leaders who were leading them? They would ask them things like this. How in the world did we get here? Why in the world were we in Egypt? And do you leaders know anything about what happened before Egypt? And people in these families, apparently, were charged with keeping these records. And now what we do is we go on the Internet, we cut out the records or we link the records, and we send them to the author... But however they kept records there, whether it was chisel and stone or whatever, they grabbed their records and they took them over to Moses' tent and they said, here you go, do your writing. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God took something natural and supernaturally inspired the writing that Moses did in this book. And that's how we got the book of Genesis. Everybody cool with that? Maybe some of you aren't, but at least you're following along. And so when we go back to the book of Genesis, I want you just to read with me just the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. (laughs) You know what's funny about the Bible? Is we spend, or not about the Bible, about the world. We spend years and money and debates and resource and heartache and consternation over debating about the existence of God. And what's funny to me is the Bible doesn't do it. (laughs) You go to the first few verses. In the beginning, or the first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. When you come to the Bible, the Bible doesn't argue for the existence of God. It assumes the existence of God. By the way, this written about in the Psalms, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Amen? So we come, the Bible does tell us how you can learn and grow and know about the existence of God. For instance, we just watched some of it. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The Bible talks about a conscience in Romans, and we can know about the existence of God. But look, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by God himself, is not arguing that there is God or not. That's a settled issue here. It's the fools who argue that. Now, if you're an unbeliever there, or you're listening, or you're here, don't worry. I'm not calling you a fool necessarily, but what I am saying is, or what we, the Bible says, is that life makes no sense without God. So that's where it begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He does not argue for the existence of God. He just assumes it. And one of the things I want you to know about this whole chapter, and this, to me, is totally fascinating. You know, some of the Bible, this is part of the historical books of the Bible, some of the Bible, like the poetry, of course, is written in poetry and all that sort of thing, This first chapter is really unique. It's written in narrative form. It's narrative because it's history. But what's really amazing about this chapter, and you don't really see it, you kind of see it here in the English, but in the Hebrew you would see it. Every verse of this chapter, except the first verse, begins with the word and. And you're like, well, why are you getting so excited about that? (laughs) Because how this is written is a sequential telling of events that God relayed to Moses that he wanted you to know. And this, and this, and this, for an entire chapter. It's written in narrative form, in sequential order, trying to tell you and I that God did this in an orderly and powerful and thought-out manner. Here's another thing. When it comes to studying Genesis, some of you might be saying, well, my goodness, come on, this is Sunday morning, man. I need some John. I need Philippians. But I think if you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, see, I'll give you Ephesians. People get real uncomfortable about this verse. Every time we preach through this verse, I get people not running, but coming up after, and they're like, walk worthy. I, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul writes, beseech you to walk worthy. And all you perfectionists come running up to the front of the church and go, ah! am I worthy enough or not? Oh, chapter one, or chapter four, verse one, sorry. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Let me ask you something. What were Adam and Eve, when we get there, doing with the Lord? They were walking with the Lord. They were talking with the Lord. They were communing with the Lord. But people get to this thing because we're Americans and we like to measure up. But God's whole Bible from Genesis one to the end of revelation is all about the grace of God. If you don't know what the grace of God is, grab the bookmark back there, stick it in your Bible. And every time you come across grace, read it. It's God's disposition to do good for the people that he loves. And the Bible tells us earlier in the book of Ephesians, listen to this, that before the foundation of the world, time out, go back to chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before that time, when God created time, before he did all these things in chapter one, God was thinking about you. Whew. Let that one wash over you. And the Bible says in chapter 4 of Ephesians that you're to walk worthy of your calling. All of us go, oh, do I measure up? Am I good enough? Did I help enough old ladies? Did I give enough money? Did I serve enough? Did I do blah, 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 blah? And you just fry yourself. When really what I think this is talking about is that God wants you to know, listen, who you are and where you've come from And he wants you to walk in that. That you were so prized and thought of and valued that he would make man and woman in his image and likeness, knowing that we were going to fall, knowing that he was going to have to send his son Jesus to die in our place, knowing what's happening now when you turn on the news and you're frustrated and angry, God did it all because he values you. And he wanted to have a relationship with us. He didn't need to have a relationship with us, but he wanted to. And see, to me, knowing Genesis helps us To walk, worthy if you want to call it, worthy a lot of times in the Bible is just a fancy way of saying being mature in Christ. Not measuring up, just being mature. And one of the things that Genesis does for us is helps us to walk where we're supposed to walk and how we're supposed to walk with the resources we're supposed to walk based on the love that he had for us in order to walk. You talk about grounding someone. I think if we internalize that, I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this. I think uh, the counselor's office would start to become extinct, not extinct. I don't want, I love counselors. Don't take that away. I think though, this settles us. It takes the anxiety of life and goes, whoa, I'm a treasured, loved, created being. I'm not something that happened out of these chemicals by chance that didn't happen, but whatever. Just grew up and it was animalistic and it was all by chance. I'm not an accident. I was planned. And I think to walk worthy is walking in that. You're mature as you walk in that. Everybody with me? See, this is Genesis. And when we get here, watch this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Three things just happened there at the beginning. God has existed. The Trinity existed. The triune God existed always. There's never not been a, I can't even say it this way, really. I put myself in a conundrum. There's not never been a time that he didn't exist, but he created time right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At the beginning, he created the beginning, time. That's one of the things he first did. He created time. But then he also created space. He created the heavens, space, and he created the earth, matter. One, two, three. Time, space, matter. You see, I'm no scientist, and I can't give you all the ways that this happened. But I know this. In the beginning, God, who existed always and had always been, he created the heavens and the earth. What if we just came to the Bible to take the Bible for what the Bible says? What if we just did that? What if we just read chapter 1, all of us, with a blank slate? Believers, non-believers, we didn't have any presuppositions about how long ago it was, or this, or that, or how we came to be. If we just read that, knowing that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now here you just come to the first great controversy of the Bible. Isn't that funny? You can't even get... You can't even make the leap from verse 1 to verse 2 with humans coming in and making it very controversial. You understand this, right? See, because when you read the second verse, it says the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, there's many people who want to say... In bet- uh, uh, sort of translate verse 2 this way. The earth was without form and void because, or, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Uh, and what they try to put in there, instead of darkness was on the face of the deep, they said darkness became on the face of the deep. And here's what I'm trying to get at. Many people believe between verse 1 and verse 2 something cataclysmic happened. In fact, a lot of people believe in this thing called the gap theory. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to take the Bible and match it up to what humanistic um, uh, scientists or even scientists who claim to know God have determined for us as believers. And that's this. They've determined that you should believe in lots and lots of years. And also you should believe in a process of evolution that is based on death, destruction, And those sorts of things. And so what happened is people uh, get worried about it and they go, oh, shoot, they've got all this evidence. So here's what we got to do. We got to find in the Bible where this happened. And it said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness became on the face of the deep. And they're like, whoa, here's what they say that in between verse one and verse two. There was a world that existed for billions or millions and millions or millions of years and that something happened that was so cataclysmic that it made the earth without form and void and darkness was on the face of the earth. And so, the, you know, they call it uh, something like the gap theory. That there was this earlier world that was destroyed. And one of the things they tie in there is that Satan says it in the, you know, uh, in the prophets fell at this time. And that that allows for the millions and millions of years. It's called the gap theory. Everybody with me for a second. And so. That's where the controversy starts to come. Do you get this? The controversy starts to come. Other people believe, in order to adhere to millions and millions or billions of years, that each one of the days that we're about ready to study, where it was an epic or an eon of time that allows people to square their faith with evolutionary science. That is called the day-age theory. Still with me? I'm throwing to you a lot of information. But what if you just read the Bible? (laughs) What if you just read the Bible and you said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, God who is eternal was there at the beginning to create time, space, and matter. And when he first created time, space, and matter, this thing that we call earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And then watch. And the Spirit of God... Okay, I'll liven you up here. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said... Let there be light, and there was light. Everybody's still with me. Here, look at this. Watch this. In the first chapter of the Bible, the author of the Bible, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses one particular word for God. He switches in chapter 2. He uses the first uh, chapter, he uses this word. He uses Elohim. Elohim here is a word that he could have used, although there were other words in that family of words that the author could have used. El, el and Elohim. He could have used any of those. <clears throat> but what he's saying here is, uh, oh, by the way, but what's interesting in the Hebrew is that this writer used, watch, a unique word, Elohim, that means plural but one, And the way that we can confirm that is all the uh, verbs and the pronouns in the Hebrew aren't in a plural form. They're in a singular form. So that when the writer is using the word Elohim, stay with me. He's divulging to us and to you the mystery of the Trinity from verse 1 of the Bible. In fact... If you look just with your eyes, just look with your eyes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who's he talking about? He's talking about God the Father. One, but more than one. That's what he's saying. And then you go down and you see the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And you say, oh, okay, I see Father and I see Holy Spirit. Where's the Son? It says here, then God said, let there be light. You guys love John, right? John starts this way. In the beginning was the word. (laughs) And the word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus is the word. So here you have, in the first three verses of the Bible, you have The author of the Bible, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants you to know that we believe in one God in three persons. And each one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, had a hand in creation. Come on now. I mean... When you read this and think on this critically, you say, Oh my goodness, how amazing is God? And then you say, Oh my goodness, how important am I to God? Lots of people need to hear that. You matter to God. Some of us had bad dads or bad moms or whatever. We had bad families. We grow up. We can't. It's tough for us to feel love or to love other people right here from chapter one, verse one. He wants you to know he loves you in such great and big ways. He created all of this to get to you. Wow. It's amazing. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Let me just say this. And if you don't believe this, okay, I, I, I get it. But just do this. Just read the Bible and go from and go to the Genesis 1, and you see that they're from creation we find of the universe to the creation of men. That's what we find in chapter 1 into chapter 2. Okay, everybody with me? And then from Genesis 5, you get this chronological info about Adam and Eve all the way up to the flood of Noah. Okay, just hang with me for a minute. Then in Genesis 11, you have from the flood of Noah up to the Father Abraham time. And then in Old uh, Old Testament history books, you get from Abraham to Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon when Babylon swooped in. 586 B.C. and wrecked Jerusalem. And then several prophetic books tell us about when Israel came back into their land after the Babylonian invasion. And then we know how long it was from the close of the prophetic books to the beginning uh, of uh, the life of Christ with a 400-year gap in between. Now, why did I just tell you all that? Because many people have done studies on how long that was. And the best guess is that if you just went by the Bible and you didn't know about evolutionary processes or theistic evolution, you you, you didn't do that sort of thing, you would come up with a date that these first two chapters happened of somewhere in the early 4,000s B.C., which means that the Earth would be about 6,000, some say even up to 10,000 year old, years old, according to the Bible. Now, many of you are maybe in here are going, "Well, you're nuts. What about carbon dating?" all the different things that they found. And uh, here's what I would say about it. I would say, read the Bible. Don't stick your head in the sand. Here's what I would do. I would go out and get some books about scientific creationism. I would go get some books, uh, listen to lectures about some of the amazing people who are studying these things. And I can tell you one thing. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, almost everybody in the world now is sort of laughing at Darwinism as it's on its way out. Many people have said that when we look back in time, you know, even, even secular uh, scientists and historians now are saying when we look back in time, who knows I think the Lord's coming soon, but whatever. If we were to look back in time, 50 years from now, 75 years from now, people are going to be laughing at that hoax that happened to us because the science doesn't back it up. And so here we find ourselves. You know, I forgot something here, and Gabe's going to kill me, but I'm going to jump out of order, and I'm going to show you this quote by Adam Clark about the Trinity. I'm going to jump back to the Trinity because it's so amazing. Look at this. Nor are the Christians singular in receiving this Trinitarian doctrine about the Trinity and deriving it from the first words of divine revelation. An eminent Jewish rabbi, Simeon ben Joachai, in his comments on the sixth section of Leviticus have these remarkable words. Come and see the mystery of the word Elohim. The word Elohim, there are three degrees, each degree by itself alone, and yet notwithstanding, they're all one and joined together in one and are not divided from each other. See Ainsworth, he must be strangely prejudiced indeed. You cannot see that the doctrine of a trinity and of a trinity unity is sp- expressed in Elohim. Sorry, I forgot that. I looked back there and Gabe was smiling at me. But that's powerful. We see the Trinity there. And then we see as we move through just the book of the Bible. We see that the beginning of time here, if you just read the Bible, was in the early 4000s BC. And I, again, I went on, was just getting ready. You, you know what happened when my, my first two kids went to the public school? I've got to tell you, you're going to get mad at me for saying this. Oh, man, I'm really in trouble here. I've painted myself in the corner. Among all you Christians who teach at the p- private school, you know, you wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for the public school. And here's why. My kids went to the public school, and we, we did our Bible study, and my, my kids would invite their friends over, and the parents would be like, you're doing What? We play football in this town on Friday night. We don't do Bible study, but they just kept inviting little kids, inviting people to the Bible study. And, but what we used to tell them was when they got into the science things, Hey, listen, learn those theories, learn those theories, get an A on there and then come home and we'll learn the real stuff. And I know that's sort of dangerous to some of you, but listen, Where are we to be training our kids? This is just a supplement. This isn't where you train your kids. You train your kids at home. You go out and find out what you believe by the Bible. Do it. There's nothing that can be more important than the first 11 chapters of the Bible because it sets up everything that's coming in the New Testament and through Jesus. In fact, listen, it's so important that Jesus himself quoted from the first 11 chapters. I mean, you could just go into the New Testament. You could find in Mark chapter 10, verse 6. You can go there, and it quotes from Genesis 127 and 224. How about in Luke three thirty-eight? Jesus, when he begun his ministry. Jesus, at the time that he was beginning his ministry... It talks about him being the son of Heli, the son of Enos, the son of Sh- uh, Seth, the son of Adam. <laughs> you think this isn't important? No wonder it's under attack. How about in Luke 11? So that the blood of all prophets, verse 50, shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. Jesus says, from the blood of Abel. That's Adam and Eve's son. You guys catching this? To the blood of Zechariah. And I could go on and on. There's several places that Jesus quotes, but I won't. And you know there's somewhere between 165 to 200 uh, allusions to Genesis... In the New Testament, it's everywhere. It's foundational. And so, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What I would say to you is just read the Bible. (laughs) And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's this thing. Listen, this is very hard to describe what's happening here. But but listen. We serve a God who's alluded to as a potter. Anybody here ever watch pottery? Come on, you've never been in school. And, you know, they go down to the river and they pick up the clay and they pack it wherever and it might be in a cube. What, what does the potter do? He, he puts some water over it and then, you ever seen him do it? They go, phoom, and they throw it on the wheel and it's nothing. But it is there. It's something, but It's nothing. But it's something. That's how I think about what we're just reading here. That the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. See, because wherever God isn't, there's darkness, but wherever God comes into, there's light. Because God is light, and he's love. And the earth was without form and void. And what's interesting is, watch this, the first three days of creation are the formation it's it's the echo to this the first 3 days of creation the earth is formed or the heavens and the earth are all formed and the next 6 days of creation are them fi- or is god filling the earth so that's what it's all about and the earth was without form and void and darkness is on the face of the deep there's not a completed system you get this It's like the slap onto the wheel and the potter is about ready to do something. And the spirit of God was hovering. You understand this word is a real weird word word in the Hebrew and they can't exactly figure it totally out. But here's one thing it does mean. It means that he energized or breathed life into the world. That's what it's saying right there you're like, okay, I'm not tracking. You know what I had to do? I'm so dumb. You know what I had to do last night? I had to go watch a video about the earth and the rotations of the earth. I don't even know any of that stuff. But what I believe is happening right here as the Spirit of God energizes that thing on the potter's wheel is that god took this thing that we call earth and put it on a 23 degree axis and energized it don't we go around once every 24 hours and don't we go all the way around the sun once every 365 days don't we do that guess what am i right am i right Am I right? <laughs> I can, okay, I could get that mixed up, trust me. But now listen, let me just stop you right here. If you're not a believer, if you're not a believer in creation, ism, I mean, just take that because you know that the Bible in several places set the, says that the Lord sits above the earth and hangs it. And the implication is there's nothing there to hold it. What is holding this thing up? And if you think that there's this massive planet that just happens to go around this way once every 24 hours and it came by evolutionary processes and it's on a 23 degree axis so that it's in the perfect position, by the way, to sustain life. It couldn't sustain life at 23 and a quarter degrees or 22 and three quarters. Couldn't do it. But right at 23 degrees, it's perfect to sustain life. It rotates every 24 hours and it goes around 365 days. And here's what happened. That just happened by chance. Well, you know what? I got land in Florida to sell you right by some perfect beach property or whatever. Because come on, folks, just watch the video. (laughs) God created the heavens and the earth. And what he did was he, Spirit of God, hovered over the waters, over the face of the earth. God energized the thing that he was creating and put energy into it so that we would have gravitational pulls, and a north and a south pole. You go out and read about that. Time out. (laughs) You can tell I did some reading. You go out and read about that. It's really fascinating. It's the same thing they talk about the human body. They know what gravitation is. They know the north and south pole and what it is. But they can't explain why it does it and how it all... I mean how it keeps a a, a planet suspended in nothingness. They know what it does, but not why or how. It's like the human heart, you know? The human heart has all those four chambers, has this little bundle of nerves right at the middle of the heart, and they know that those bundle of nerves send a signal, an electric impulse, boom, 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 boom. And when you die, that thing shuts off. And that's why they shock people, right? But nobody knows why. Well, we know why. Because the Bible tells us that he holds all things together, Jesus. And you meet him in chapter 3. Then God said, let there be light. It's the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was lie, or God. And see, you see here, Father being the source of all things and Verse one, he's like the planner. He made the plans. And then you see the spirit is the energizer of all these things in verse two, like the rotation and the gravitational poles and all that sort of thing. And then you see uh uh you know the son here, who is the one that executes the plan. How that all works together, I'm not sure yet. Maybe, I I don't know, I'm not sure. But here it tells us that God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Here it comes, here's the first day. So you say, day. Here's the next controversy. I mean, it sort of fits into what I already told you. Some people believe that day means millions of years because of the gap theory I told you about and the day-age theory that I told you about. But other people uh, would just believe that it means day. (laughs) And there's a big controversy in how you uh, interpret the word, which is yom, Y-O-M. But just in reading this, If you didn't have any presupposition or hang-ups, what would you think a day would be? A day. What's fascinating about this first day here is that God said, let there be light, and there was light. What's funny is that you don't get to the lights in the heavens until day four. So how is there light? Ever thought about that? Yeah, what's really fascinating about this is, you know when you're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth, the Bible tells us that there will be no sun. What are we living by? I didn't hear you. The glory of God. And so here, I think, maybe, what we're seeing here is how the earth started out, by living according to the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? His substance, his weight, and yet it was in some sort of axis and sphere, so there was a begin, you know, a behind and a uh, you know, to the sun and a front to the sun, etc. But the earth was without form and void, spirit of God hovered or energized. God said, "Let there be light." You know one verse that I think we should just talk about here as we move forward on the first day. Look in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, or just listen. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, when you read these first three verses, you're reading it on this massive grand scale. We could go and talk about the universe and the galaxies and how big, and I'm not very good at that, so I'll let you study that. But in it there's no light, and yet light comes, and there's night and there's day, the first day. And what did it take? It took this unimaginable power of God. And what did it take? It took this unimaginable wisdom of God and the knowledge of God to do this. Wait, hold on. And it took this, I think, Love of God because he was establishing this earth and this universe so that people could populate the earth and that he could commune with them. And then I go to the New Testament and I read that. Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. Why? Why? Because our hearts are dark without the Lord. And you say, well, I wish God would show me something. Then I would believe in creation or whatever. Look here. Up and down the rows. Your heart was dark. And He's shone into it. Why? Keep reading. It's just like Genesis. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Watch in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Some say, I wish God would do miracles. He has. You're living proof. You're the miracle of all miracles. That you would come and live like you were always intended to live. With God. In communion. By the blood of his son. You talk about glorious. And so you keep going and it says... Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmaments heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Boy, does this have commentators puzzled. What was that? Water thing above the heavens, and what is the water thing below the heavens? Well, we're going to see that in a minute because they're told where to go, the seas on the earth, but nobody really knows what those waters above the firmament want. For years, we thought maybe it would have been the water canopy that sort of let loose when the flood happened, and people thought about that, but that's sort of gone out of style in the thinking, and so. I don't know, but all I know is this, is that it set the stage and paved the way. And it was very important on the second day to pave the way for the third day. To make the conditions right for God to say, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters. He called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. And you would circle that right here. That's a very important point. You know we believe in evolution. Ah, oh, I got your attention now. We believe in microevolution. Within a species, a species adapts. But we don't believe in macroevolution because all things produce according to its kind. Folks. I know there's a lot of publicity about transitional fossils, but they still haven't found any if you get right down to it and you study it. A dog is always going to be a dog. There's going to be Newfoundlands. There's going to be, you know, uh, I don't even know dogs. Golden Retrievers, Australian Shepherds, whatever they are, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of dogs, but no dog is going to make a leap. And that's what this is talking about here in the world of the seed and all that sort of thing the earth brought forth grass the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind the plants don't make the leap they adjust within their kind but they don't make a kind to kind leap and God saw that was good that was the third day so now God has answered or echoed without form God has now formed the earth God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament to give light on the earth. And it was so. And then God made two great lights. This greater light to rule the day, lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from darkness, and God saw it was good, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Remember when you were like 7th grade, 8th grade, and you had to get a big poster board, and you'd put the holes in there, and you'd shown the light through, and you were, you know, all I could really figure out was like Orion's belt or whatever, but whatever. And, you know, what was wild is every year on the same day, that thing was in the exact same place it always should be on the same day. And I don't know if you know this, but when you got up this morning, there was a sun rise. And when you go to bed tonight, there's going to be a sunset. And there's going to be stars in the sky if you, there's no clouds. And it's going to, let's watch this. It's going to happen every single day. And God bless us, we live in this beautiful southwestern PA. You're going to have these amazing uh, leafy trees, green trees. And here in about a month, they're going to start to turn color. And then it's awesome and beautiful, and you're going to pay millions of dollars, you know, take a ride down through and stay at these, you know, resorts and look at the leaves and do all that sort of thing. But what's funny about it is they're going to die off. And there's going to be nothing. And then around springtime, you're going to start seeing these red buds, and they're going to come back to life And it's going to be leafy again, and then color again, and then dead again, and then it's going to do it again. And it's going to happen every single year without fail. And the Lord is screaming to us, I'm the creator. I ordered this whole thing. You're no accident. And I love you in amazing and powerful ways. And we're just going to walk on by and say, whatever. And he's telling you this here. It's you see God's faithfulness right here in the fourth day. And then in the fifth day, he waters abound with living creatures, sea creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that moves which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them. Here's the first blessing. Hey, here's the first blessing of the Bible, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply. On the Earth, so the evening and the morning were the fifth day, and then God said, "Let the Earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind." there it is again, kind, cattle and creeping thing, beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps in the earth according to its kind. God saw that it was good. And here it comes again. Doesn't this just stop you in your tracks? Then God said, let me make man in my image. It doesn't say that. It says, let us make man in our image. One God in three persons. The eternal Trinity right there in verse 27. Amazing. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. What does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? Now listen, people will debate this. Endlessly, what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. But you ever thought about this? What was God like? He had power. Now, the Bible tells us that we were created to reign on the earth. You ever watched C.S. Lewis, the movies, or read the books? And they call these little kids king and queen. And you're like, what? what are you? I'm not catching why you're doing that. Well, here's why. He's doing it. We were created to have dominion. Just read Psalm 8. And that means we're to be great stewards. So we're created for authority. We're also created, which means we're creative. You ever thought about this? Where in the world do emotions come from? Emotions. You kidding me? God allows us to be happy and joyful and nostalgic And even angry, righteous, where did this come from? Evolutionary process? Come on. I was born at night, but not last night. Emotions. And I think one of the things that it means to be created in the image and likeness of God is you, listen to this, you have the capacity to love and be loved. And that's what Genesis 1 is a lot about. To love and to be loved. To love and to be loved. And so many other things. Just by this verse, listen, all of us deserve dignity and respect. Everyone in the world deserves dignity, dignity and respect based on the fact that they've been made in the image and likeness of God. And so you have that. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the cattle, all the earth, and over every creeping thing. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb, Herb, sorry, that yields seed which is on the face of the earth. Every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Look what happened before the flood. This will make some of us happy, some of us not so happy. Sounds like we were all vegetarians. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the earth, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I've given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Folks, as we close, I want to tell you two things. This is the beginnings of life as we know it, it's the beginning of the earth. Here in chapter one, it's the beginning of mankind. It's the beginning of life in every way. Throughout the book of, or here in the next week or so, we're going to see the beginning of the institution of marriage. You're going to see the institution of religion and religions. You're going to see the institution of languages as the beginning and so many other things in the book of beginnings. But one thing I want you to know before you leave today is that Moses was taking shots every verse without calling out a lot of the false gods and false theories that man can come up with. Remember, he's in the wilderness. He's been with Egyptians who have lots and lots of gods, blood in the river, flies, you name it. He was attacking, and the Lord was in those events the gods of Egypt. And here Moses is and knows all of these things, and without naming them in this beautiful, historical, inspired narrative, Moses is aiming directly at atheism because the universe was created by God. It wasn't by chance. And he was taking direct shots And pantheism. Anybody know what pantheism is? God is in everything. He's in the chair. He's in the trees. He's in the streams. When you watch this video, some people believe God is in all those things. And what he teaches us in chapter one is that God is transcendent from the creation. See, for you, that might not be that big of a deal. Although, gee, there are a lot of people who think that today. And God is telling us through Moses that that idea is false. I'm separate from creation. I'm the creator, pantheism. Get that? He's attacking polytheism. One God created all these things. Not a God for the livestock and a God for the rain and a God for the sun and a God for blah, 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 blah. One God. In the beginning, God created. He's attacking materialism. Some people believe in materialism. If you can't touch it, it ain't real. You understand that? And here in Genesis 1, he's saying, wait a minute. I'm outside matter, and I created it. He's attacking, in a good way, dualism. Dualism, this notion that God and the enemy of our souls are equal or opposite. He's equally powerful and good, he's equally powerful and not good. And God's saying, Whoa, whoa, whoa time out. Whew. I'm the one. He's he's attacking that. And he attacks humanism because God, not man, is ultimate reality. Humanists believe man is the ultimate reality and that we could be moral and good if we'll educate ourselves and just be good little boys and girls. And he's attacking evolutionism and he's attacking all kinds of other ideas. And I want you to see it because we just got done studying acts where we're to live powerfully in the uh, resource and strength of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to teach you and wants you to know about is that this is the way creation took, took place. And here's why. Why is this so important? Because what you believe, what I believe, what we believe together dictates how we walk and how we live. And I hear lots of people saying, we need to stand up for righteousness and do all this. And yes, we do. But see, I don't think you're ever going to stand up for righteousness unless you walk worthy of where God has called you from or brought you from or brought you to from where he's been, if you understand what I'm trying to say. So let's do this. Let's pray. As we finish out chapter one and we move in to chapter two next week, would you do me a favor? Would you read ahead, jot down your questions, think through what it is God is trying to say to us in the book of Genesis. By the way, I didn't mention maybe the most important thing that we're going to see in the book of Genesis. The last half of the book, after chapter 11, God chose to reveal himself through a nation called Israel. We're going to see all about that, too. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for your glorious, eternal word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to come to the Bible and read it. Just read it and have you speak to us and talk to us. Lord, help us to learn and to grow in these things. Knit these things to our hearts. So that we walk worthy according to our calling, walking with you and talking with you, and understanding you, although we can't fully yet, but understanding you in the way that you have revealed yourself and not what we think. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.